You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Well, how are you guys doing? Yeah, I, my name is Greg Carter, and I am the worship pastor here, but today I get to conclude this Advent series, which we are calling Songs of Christmas. And each week there's been a theme of Advent, and each week there's been a song. And so this week, the Advent theme is love, and so I'm going to talk about love and the Christmas carol that I most associated with love is, O Come All Ye Faithful. And so we sang this song earlier today. The lyrics are on the screen, hopefully, coming up. There they are. This is really, a, there's not a lot to this song. The narrative is basic. There's not a lot of words to it. It's really this invitation to come and worship, come and praise, come and behold. O come, let us adore. This is really a simple song of adoration. There's not a lot of theology to it, just a lot of heart. You know, as we come and behold, come and adore. Uh, this song was written in the 1600s. A little history about this. I found some sheet music. We've been singing this for three or 400 years, written in the 1600s. And the mystery is that we don't know who wrote this song. Some historians think that the king of Portugal wrote it. Some people think that a famous composer from that time wrote it. Some people think that uh, Catholic monks wrote it. But it was written in the 1600s, and then it kind of disappears. It was boxed up and stored away in some dusty bookshelf of an old library, and it sat there for maybe a 100 years before it was rediscovered by this guy named John Francis Wade in the 1700s, maybe the mid-1700s. This guy was kind of a music archaeologist, and he would go search through the the basements of libraries and search through the, the dusty bookshelves of old churches and he would find old sheet music, and then he would publish it as collections of songs. And so that's what happened with O Come All You Faithful. You know, he published it in this uh, collection of Christmas songs. And what I think is interesting is, you know, this guy in the 1700s, he finds this old piece of paper that was written maybe 100 years before, and on this paper is a bunch of information, right, musical information, kind of the kind of a representation of the intellectual side of music, the theory, the symbols, the notes, the stems, the rhythmic markings, the language of music, the math of music is all there. But without a musician to bring it to life, it's really just this dead piece of, of paper with information on it. Right? And so this guy finds this music, he, he publishes it, and then musicians are able to come along, read the information, and bring it to life. And a really good musician... You know, someone who's poured their life into learning all the rules and the theory and the concepts, a really good musician can really bring it to life in a way that people feel the music, right? It kind of awakens it from its slumber, where the music becomes this living expression that is more than just the concepts on the page somehow. And so every year we sing this song and we kind of bring it to life. It is no longer just information on a page, but this Christmas carol, the song of worship, the song of adoration is brought to life. And so I want to talk about that today. I want to explore that. Today I'm going to talk about the simplicity and the complexity of love. And I'm going to talk about the difference between an intellectual understanding and experiential understanding of love. And the song, O Come All You Faithful, is going to be interwoven throughout. But I'm hoping that by the end we would once again be reminded that love is not an intellectual concept to be left, to be left on the pages of old manuscripts. But love is meant to be experienced and expressed and lived in 
and poured out and brought to life. So let's talk about love. You guys want to do that? Let's talk about love. Let's do it. He's like, please bring it. I did my research for this topic. I read 30 to 40 love letters that I wrote when I was 16. (laughs) They're all here. My wife has kept these. I wrote these to my first girlfriend, who is now my wife. I was 16 years old. She's kept them. She reads them sometimes. I have not read them. It's so embarrassing and cringy. I have stayed away from these. Here's some of them. We'll kind of pour them out here. I have not read them until now. I'm going to read us some samples just to get us started on this conversation of love. See, we went to different schools. We only saw each other once or twice a week. And so these letters were written out of the longing and the waiting and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull this out like it's an old love letter out of my pocket. And these are just samples. I'm not going to read you the whole love letters. These are not even the cringiest. Uh, on a scale from 1 to 10, there were some 10s. These are maybe like a 6 or a 7. I couldn't bring myself to, to read the uh, most embarrassing, cringy ones. Uh, okay, this is just a section I wrote. Again, I was 16. I'm trying my best. I say, I can't believe that we have been going out for two months. I never thought that you would like me for this long. (laughs) I love you so much, I can't believe you bought me Wayne's World. (laughs) You are the most special and beautiful person I've ever known. That's just a section. Here's another one. So I wrote these in school most of the time, so I think I'm in math class here. And I say, math class is so boring, I hate it with a passion. But hey, I got a math problem for you. Okay, take how much I love you and multiply that by how far it is from my house to your house. And then add that by the length of your hair and then multiply that by how many hairs are on my head. And then add that by how many times you have told me that you love me, and then multiply that by how far and deep the ocean is, and that's how much I love you. Uh. And then I drew a heart, and I underlined I love you ten times. Uh. See, I'm such an analogy guy. I kind of think in analogies, and I was already writing in analogies back then. This is kind of a winter analogy, so I chose this one. Say, snowflakes are probably the most delicate things ever created in this world. And coming in at a close second, I think, are the emotions and self-esteem of humans. And I know that you are very delicate and I can never hurt you in any way. The surprising thing about it is when delicate things like snowflakes stick together, they create something gigantic and amazingly beautiful. And so whenever you feel insecure, just remember this beautiful thing that we have together. You are the happiness of my day and the love of my life. Love, Greg Carter. And then I drew a picture of a snowman in a snowstorm. And the last one, here's a short one to end it. Kind of get us started on this discussion. Last night on the phone, you asked me what love was. Did you ask me because you're not sure if that's what you feel? You know, what is love? 
In these letters, this teenager is trying to figure out what love is. He, I am experiencing something. I'm feeling something, something new that is saturating and encompassing every part of who I am, my heart, my soul, my mind. And I'm trying to articulate what I'm feeling. I'm trying to convey and capture it with language. I'm trying to express the fullness of it, but language is so limited and words fall short. You know, I'm writing songs at this time. I'm writing poems, love letters, thousands and thousands of words. But words really do fall short. It doesn't quite convey it fully. My 16-year-old brain is trying its best, but it's so cringy and lame and embarrassing. But from the beginning of mankind, poets and songwriters and authors have tried to convey and express and explain and to uh, define this mysterious power of love and how it functions and where does it come from and where does it go and how does it work. And they've done well, but somehow love is beyond definition, beyond explanation. Somehow love transcends and includes every song and every poem and every story and every definition that's ever been written. You know, and scientists and psychologists have studied it in a lab. They've looked at brain scans and they've seen, you know, how hormones and how the the chemicals in your brain is released. And they've done studies. They've written dissertations. They've made graphs and diagrams and charts. They've written thousands of books and articles and research papers about love. And they've done a lot. But still, there's something about love that is beyond definition, beyond explanation, For how true is it that love was never meant to be the discussion of textbooks? Love was meant to be experienced and lived and poured out and brought to life. Somehow love is beyond the analysis of the most brilliant minds. And maybe my favorite poem, uh, this is by E.E. Cummings. It's in your notes, and I'm just going to put a small section on the screen. But I'll paraphrase it. This just expresses it beautifully. You know, he's uh, this poet, E.E. E. Cummings, who's writing this poem, this love letter to his wife. And I'll paraphrase. He says, you know, sometimes I get caught up in intellectual things. Sometimes I'm so in my head in academic thought and human intelligence and human wisdom and in study and research. But, he says, But the grandest gestures of my mind and the greatest notions of my brain cannot compare to the simple fluttering of your eyelids, which says that we are for each other. He says, for life is not a paragraph. It's not some boring piece of writing. Life is meant to be experienced and lived in and brought to life. And he says, the most simple expressions of love and intimacy cannot compare is far greater than the most impressive thoughts in my mind. And this poet is reminding us not to overthink and overanalyze what love is. He's reminding us and himself to fully appreciate and relish in and be present in the moment of that aspect of life that is the most important thing, and that is love. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes something similar in 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 2, I'll kind of paraphrase this too. He says, if I have the gift to fathom all knowledge, and if I could somehow understand all the mysteries of the universe, but do not have love, then I am nothing. 
He says, if I can eloquently speak with all the languages of heaven and earth, but do not have love, then I have nothing. You know, love is beyond, is more meaningful, is more powerful than all that. And he goes on to define, right after that, he goes on to define love in the next verse, or in verse 4. He uses his words to try to define and convey it. He says, love is patient, love is kind. Love is this, it's not that. Love is this word, it's not that word. Right? Love is selfless. It is not proud. It is not boastful. And he does his best, but again, love is somehow beyond definition. And right after that, he says, but I don't fully understand my understanding is only a partial understanding. My understanding is like looking in the reflection of a dim mirror. But someday I hope to fully understand. And until then, until then, verse 13, until then, these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But what's the greatest? The greatest of these is love. Love is the most important thing. He says, love will outlast all human intellect. It will remain after all human achievement has faded away. Love is ancient. Love is infinite. Love comes from a divine source, and that source is beyond our understanding. And love is somehow beyond and outside of logic and reason. It somehow transcends the intellect. And as I was thinking about all this, I was reminded of this season in my life. I was in college. I was getting my master's degree. And I was so in my head, I was caught up in academic thought. I saw the world through a filter of intellectualism, you know, studying uh, composition and classical music. And when it came to the things of God and scripture and worship, it was all about research and study And at this time in my life, I was thirsty for knowledge. I just read all the time, all kinds of books from, from every side of the debate. I read debate, or I listened to debates all the time. You can find these debates online, you know, Christian against non-believer and theologian against scientist. I listened to hundreds of debates. It's what I did for fun. I don't know why. I could not stop. I was thirsty for knowledge. It's what I did when I drove, when I went to sleep. I studied, and I kind of treated God as this object. I treated the divine as an object, and I set myself apart from it, and I stood on the outside. I stood away from it so that I could poke and prod and dissect and analyze it. And it's like at this time, I was trying to build this intellectual uh, tower of Babel that would somehow reach the divine understanding of all things. And... So many questions arose. I had so many questions. And for every question, instead of an answer, it's like every question fractaled out into more questions. It was like this never-ending puzzle of all these elusive pieces, and I tried to put them all together with my mind. And at this time, it's like two-year period, I felt far away from worship and far away from God. It felt like a distant memory from another chapter in my life. And there is a one day in the in the practice room of the university, and this is um this is a room where I spent hours a day composing and, and writing and researching and practicing classical music. And for whatever one reason, uh, for some reason, this day I start singing and playing the song "The Heart of Worship." You know, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. 
And it's like it came out of nowhere. It's like my brain was retrieving it from another lifetime and it had been so long. And as I sang it, it's like the atmosphere changed. It's like as I sang it, something opened up and there was a, a, feeling, of, a feeling of being close to something that was far away before. As I sang it, it was like I was breathing in the love of God. It's hard to explain. But I realized that I was spiritually dead, and this was like breathing in of the soul, not of the lungs, like breathing in love. It's like as I sang that song, it's like I was awakening something that was sleeping, resurrecting something that was dead. As I sang that song, Heart of Worship, it's like I was waking up to the awareness that God's love and his presence was there all along. You know, in every debate, every book, every article, every discussion, all the striving, all the searching, all the intellectual work with my mind, none of it would have got me to this place of understanding and of knowing and of being known. And it's like in worship for me, it's like every time in worship, my goal is not to understand. My goal is just stand in awe and behold and adore. You know, in every song of worship, it's like I'm being reminded. It's like I am reconnecting to a love that is beyond understanding and knowing this love that is beyond intellect. And I think that's what Paul, the Apostle Paul, is talking about in this next verse in Ephesians. Ephesians 3. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And this next part, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. All right, verse 19, and that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. You know, Paul is asking us to know something that is beyond knowledge. And I think he's talking about a deeper knowing that we would know from the deeper places within us, that we would know from the place within us that is beyond reason, beyond intellect, there is a knowing and awareness of God's love that doesn't make any sense to the intellect, but it makes all the sense to the deeper, infinite places within. And I can apply this to knowing my wife. You know, I know information about my wife. I know, you know, I could, her Enneagram number, her information like her, pers- her personality type, her weight, her age, and other things on her driver's license and things on her medical records, her her strengths and her goals and how much she can bench press. It's all kinds of information. I can know the, the details of the chronological narrative of her past events. There's information, and then there's knowing someone, knowing beyond the information. Right? There is a deeper knowing. It's like, I know you, and I see you. I see you from that place within me that is beyond intellect. I see your infinite worth. I see your soul. I see your unique singular essence. And I can't even quite put it into words, but I know you beyond information. I think 
That's what Paul is talking about. And how much more so for the love of God when he says, I pray that you would have the power to know the love that surpasses knowledge. And in scripture, we read these, read these verses about a love that surpasses knowledge and a peace that transcends understanding. And in Psalm 145, it says, God is so great. His greatness is beyond anything we can fathom. In Isaiah 55, God says, my ways are not like your ways. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. As far as the, the heavens are above the earth, that's how much higher my thoughts and my ways are than your thoughts and your ways. And so when I think about Christmas, what's so amazing is that something so complex is made so simple. Right? The, God, the God that is beyond our understanding, the God whose love outstretches the limits of eternity, he comes down to our level, humbles himself to take the form of a man and even an infant. This complex thing becomes a simple expression of love. Sometimes we think about, we kind of picture the manger and the stable and the animals, and we wonder how stinky it is, how stinky it was, and you know what kind of animals, were there horses, were there cows there? What was the historical context for what a manger looked like back in that time and, and what time of year, and all that is great. But let's look beyond that. And we, here we have something so complex. We have the God who stood on eternity and spoke into time now exists within the dimensions of our space and time. The God whose ways are light years above our ways and light years above our thoughts is now here with us, God Emmanuel, God with us. The God of the galaxies and the cosmos and all the mysteries within is now here with us. And when I think about that, the natural response is to worship, is to praise, is to come and behold and come and adore. And it's like I come to this place where I'm like, I don't even know what words to say. Language kind of falls short. Words are limited, but I just, Lord, I praise you, I worship you. I adore, I behold. And as a worship leader, it's funny, I, I tend to lean towards simple songs of adoration when it's just me and a guitar by myself, when it's just me and the Lord. It's all about simple songs of adoration. I like, I like the song, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. I love uh, the song, Jesus, we love you. You know, all our affection, all our devotion poured out in the feet of Jesus. I like the song, Heart of Worship. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And I like, oh, come, let us adore him. Again, it's where we like, we run out of words. I'm not even sure what else to say. But I just want to reconnect and remember this love that is beyond all understanding. We worship Jesus. Jesus was a living, walking expression of love. He was the ultimate fulfillment of love, the ultimate expression of love, the height, the width, the length, the depth of love. And what he taught... Just like Paul, Jesus taught that love was the most important thing. That love is the most important thing. Jesus said all the writings, all the scriptures, the, the law and the prophets, the Torah, every writing on, that was written on parchment paper and on papyrus and the oral traditions, all of that can be summed up to this. It all comes down to this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. And to love your neighbor as yourself. 
which means love the people that you encounter in your life. You know, he was saying this as a response to a Pharisee. Right before this, a Pharisee was challenging him, was testing him, and was asking him, you know, what's the greatest commandment? You know, and Pharisees love the law. They love the scripture. They love the written word. They love all the rules and the protocol. They, know, they love the washings and the cleansings and the, and the feasts. And they take the Sabbath. They love the intellectual side of it. They like debating it and discussing it. They like the commentary of it. And Jesus does too. Jesus loves the text. He, he walks it. He teaches it. He learned it. He prays the text. But Jesus says that Pharisees are better at teaching about love than they are actually loving. Pharisees are, are better at teaching about the concept of love than they are actually loving God and loving people. He says it's one of the woes of the Pharisees. So here Jesus is saying, you can follow the Mosaic law to the T and you can study all the esoteric meanings behind the scripture and you can memorize it and quote it and read the commentary and you could intellectualize it and analyze it and dissect it and classify and categorize it. All of that is great. It's amazing. But don't forget the most important thing. The spirit of the law, the essence of the law is love. It was always about love. And in that scripture, so put it back up there, verse 37, Jesus says as a response, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And also love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, meaning the Torah, all the writings of what we call the Old, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, it all can be interpreted and summed up with that. And so to conclude, I hear music over here. I'm going to bring it back to music. As I think about this message of Jesus, I think about this, uh, this sheet music. And we look at this old piece of paper with information on it, with concepts. It's kind of the representation of the intellectual side of music, you know, the, the theory and the rules, the regulations, and how long to hold notes and what notes to play, the math of music, the elements of music the language of music, it's all on this page. You know, but music was never meant to just be intellectual information on a page. You know, it's amazing. I love music theory. I went to school to be, um, uh, got my master's degree in music composition. I love all the nerdy parts of music and all the notes and the language and the math. But music was never meant to just be intellectual information on an old manuscript. You know, and some people pour their life into learning all the rules and the concepts and the language and the math, and they spend their 10,000 hours in the practice rooms. But the ultimate goal is that you'd be able to bring it to life and play music in such a way that it moves people. You bring it to life. It's like you give the music a soul. It is a living expression that is somehow beyond all the concepts and all the notes and the markings on the page. The music's important. It's essential but it was never meant to just be information on a page. So I see that's what Jesus is saying with the, the law and the prophets and the writings. And he, he says, all the writings, all the law and the prophets, all the commentary, everything discussed, everything debated, all the oral tradition, everything written on papyrus, all of it is summed up with this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love the people that you encounter in your life. 
For how true is it that love was never meant to be the discussion of textbooks? It was never meant to be analyzed and categorized or even understood on an intellectual level. Love was meant to be brought to life, experienced, expressed. You know, and Jesus was the ultimate expression of love. He lived it. He walked it. He was love. And he calls us to be the same, to be these living expressions of love. And so I guess the question is, you know, how are we doing with this? How am I doing with that? Are we a reflection of this message? Are we a living expression of love? Are we bringing love to life? Or is love something that is just uh, an intellectual idea that's on a paper somewhere in the dusty bookshelves of our mind? You know, we're called to bring it to life. And we do that with simple expressions, with hundreds and thousands of simple expressions, each one more meaningful and more powerful than all the writings and all the poems and all the stories and all the scriptures about love. Just like Jesus said, we are called to be living expressions of love. So right now as we take communion, we are being reminded, we are remembering this love that surpasses knowledge and transcends our intellect. Let's get our communion ready. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's remember him. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for all that you are, all that you've done, all that you've done in our lives. We thank you for the love that saturates and encompasses every part of our life, our heart, our mind, and our soul. We thank you for the love that is beyond our understanding that our intellect doesn't quite get. Lord, and I pray that our lives would be an offering of worship and adoration. That as a response, we might just say, Lord, we don't know what to say. Language is limited. Words fall short, but Lord, we praise you. We worship you. We behold you. We stand in awe. We adore you. And we do that in every aspect of our life. We love the people that we encounter. I pray that we would be living expressions of love, that we would bring it to life in every aspect Lord, we love you, we adore you, we praise you, we worship you. We stand in awe and behold you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.